The scripture for today is 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible. I have the freedom to do anything, but not everything is helpful. I have the freedom to do anything, but I won't be controlled by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, and yet God will do away with both. The body isn't for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. God has raised the Lord and will raise us through his power. Don't you know that your bodies are parts of Christ? So then, should I take parts of Christ and make them part of someone who's sleeping around? No way. Don't you know that anyone who is joined to someone who is sleeping around is one body with that person? The scripture says the two will become one flesh. The one who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Avoid sexual immorality. Every sin that a person can do is committed outside the body, except those who engage in sexual immorality commit sin against their own bodies. Or don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Don't you know that you have the Holy Spirit from God, and you don't belong to yourselves? You have been bought and paid for, so honor God with your body. Last Sunday, we talked about how change happens in the Christian life. Traditional religion likes to govern by rules, but a law that says no brownies for you just makes us want them more. The good news is that followers of Jesus don't live under the weight of the law anymore because we are people of the Spirit. We gaze intently at Jesus And as we're focused on him, it's the Holy Spirit's job to transform us from the inside out until we start resembling the one that we're watching. But if Christians are people who live in the spirit and not by some law-driven version of religion, this leaves us with one huge and obvious question. What's to stop us from using our glorious freedom in the spirit to just do whatever we want. Uh, Believe it or not, we modern hedonists are not the first people to think of this. Uh, This is a question that came up regularly in the first century, uh, whenever the Apostle Paul started waxing eloquent about the Spirit. It it was particularly a point of conversation among Christians in the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth was a city where people liked to party. The city was situated on a harbor, and sailors who docked after months at sea really liked to kind of live it up there. Many residents of the city of Corinth were quite wealthy because of all of the trade that ran through the harbor. They had a taste for luxury, you might say. Historically, Corinthians had believed that the protector of their city was Aphrodite, the goddess of love, pleasure, and baby-making. I imagine you're getting the vibe of the general culture around here. So when the Corinthian Christians hear Paul preaching about life in the age of the Spirit and the end of religious law, they think to themselves, that's fantastic, 
because I've got a date with a good-looking sailor scheduled for Friday night, and my roommate is out of town. Eventually, word starts getting back to Paul about how the Christian Corinthian Christians are spending their weekends and their Thursdays and their Tuesdays and their Mondays. And what can Paul say? Never mind. Forget what I said in all of those sermons. You all clearly aren't mature enough for freedom in the spirit. Give me the car keys and here's your curfew back. I mean, that's what I'd be tempted to say. But Paul takes a different approach. He sits all of them down and he says to them, listen, you all obviously haven't processed what the presence of the Holy Spirit with you actually means. Three weeks ago, when we began this series on the Spirit, we talked about how in the Old Testament period, God dwelled first in a tent and then in a temple. In these buildings, God was present in all of God's power and was available to the people. God was so present there that the people prepared themselves carefully before even approaching the building. On the day of Pentecost, that presence that had once come and filled the temple fills a gathering of Jesus' followers. The church becomes the new temple, God's dwelling place on earth. Where even two or three Jesus followers gather, God is there. The temple touches down. But it turns out that there's even more to the story of Pentecost than that. Because if you think back to that story we read in Acts, the the spirit when it came didn't fall on just on the gathered community individual tongues of fire, fire being the Old Testament symbol of God's presence, alighted on the heads of each individual Christian in the room. Paul points out to the Corinthian Christians that he's afraid they may have missed a point. Don't you know, he says, that this means your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Thad and Mark and Joy and Sue, you all are temples of the Spirit. In a very real way, God is present to the world right now in your body. You are like that Old Testament tent that God used to move around the world in. When you walk into a room, God walks into that room. When you show up in a neighborhood, God shows up in that neighborhood. Your body has become God's roving address on earth. If the building imagery is a bit hard to wrap your head around, Paul makes the same point again in a different way. Don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ? With the Holy Spirit as a constant connection binding you and Jesus together, you and Christ can no longer be treated as two fully separate entities. To put it in quantum terms, you and Jesus are entangled. You move together. Your body, mind, and soul have become attached to his. Paul says, the, Lord, the one who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. 
whatever you do in the world, whatever you do in your body, Jesus is now a part of because you and he are intertwined. I don't know about you, but I find this as a truly remarkable thought. I think about it sometimes when I go to visit a friend who's hurting or when I go to sit with a person who's dying. It's easy for all of us to feel inadequate in these situations. We're not always exactly sure what we should say or do. But I close my eyes for a moment and I remind myself that when I walk in, Jesus is entering that room too. I try to tune myself into him, into awareness of his presence, so that I can hear anything he might want to say along the way. I pray that in his presence, other people, in my presence, other people will sense his presence with me. Even if I fail in what I say or do, he will have been there anyway. Take a moment to consider this. When you see a place of pain or darkness in the world, you don't just have to sit around and wish or pray for Jesus to show up there. I mean, do pray for God to act in powerful ways. But also remember that you have the power to physically walk the presence of Jesus right into that space. Wherever you go, he will be present. That's the positive side of being bound to Jesus by the Spirit. But there's also a more sobering side as well. And this is specifically what Paul is writing to point out to the Corinthian Christians. Because your body is a temple of the Spirit, the dwelling place of God on earth, when you use your body in ways that harm or dishonor others, you are making God a part of that act. You are using Jesus' body to bring harm and shame. You can't help but do that because you and Jesus can no longer be fully separated. And this isn't just a question of using Jesus' body to harm others. It also has major implications for how you treat yourself. But when you treat your body badly, when you neglect it, insult it, dishonor it, you are doing these harms to Jesus. Abusing your own body is the spiritual equivalent of sacking God's own house. This is the point that Paul makes to the Corinthian Christians in verse 15. Uh, Don't you know that your bodies are part of Christ? So then, should I take parts of Christ and make them part of someone who's sleeping around? No way. You aren't alone in your own skin. You're making real choices every day about what Christ's body will come in contact with what Christ's body will be used for. Will Christ's body heal or be used to exploit? Will Christ's body be nurtured or slowly degraded? That depends in part on you. But there's one more aspect of this new reality of the body as God's temple. Paul doesn't address it directly, but it's clearly implied by his words. It's not just your body that has become a dwelling place of God. 
It's also the bodies of other Jesus followers. God is moving around the world, not just in you, but in other people too. One of Jesus' most memorable sayings comes from Matthew 25. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Jesus' brothers and sisters in Matthew refer to his followers. Jesus is saying that he has so closely identified himself with his followers that when one of them is fed, he is fed. When one of them is clothed, he is clothed. His life and theirs, his body and theirs, they can't be fully separated. I've found myself thinking about these things over the last few weeks. As many of my friends, Jesus' brothers and sisters of color, have shared their personal stories of their experiences in the body. Their stories of the ways their bodies have been dishonored and judged and mistreated. As people of faith, we believe that all people are made in God's image, are precious to God, and are subject to God's deepest concern. But when other Jesus followers are involved, we believe there's still more going on there because their bodies are temples of God's very presence on earth. In this country, there is a long and terrible history of Christians treating black bodies especially cheaply, as if they could be severed from souls. But Paul notes in verse 14, God has raised the Lord and will raise us through his power. In other words, Christians shouldn't expect a bodiless future. Our bodies and souls, the bodies and souls of other people, are forever linked, permanently connected. As Christians, we are called to value bodies as God has valued them in attaching them to Jesus and marking them out for resurrection. I think understanding that our streets are full of walking temples changes everything about the way we Christians navigate the world. We walk gently, with more care, recognizing that everywhere we go, we stand on holy ground. When we hear a body cry, we stop and listen taking seriously the possibility that those cries are coming from Jesus' own mouth. We treat our own bodies and the bodies of others as we would treat Jesus' body. As we close today, I just want to leave you with a series of desperately important questions that I'd encourage you to sit with and reflect deeply upon. Are you using your body in ways that Jesus would be proud to be attached to? Are you treating your body with the love and respect you would give to Jesus' body? And what about the bodies of others? What might change if you really began to see the streets as full of walking temples? How might you honor your brothers' and sisters' bodies if you began to recognize these sacred bodies as a part of Christ's own? Let's pray together. 
Jesus, what an honor and what a wonder you have done us in coming as one of us, in accepting our skin, our bodies, in becoming fully our brother. We confess the many, many ways we have failed to recognize, to honor the presence of your body in our brothers and sisters. We confess the ways that we have failed to care for your body as part of our own. Lord, give us fresh vision, fresh imagination to see a world that is full of walking temples. Show us what it means to tread carefully on that sacred ground, to honor, to celebrate, to participate in the well-being of these bodies that are bound up with yours, not just now, but in the resurrection in the eternity to come. We thank you for the gift and the beauty of bodies. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.